We are starting a new series I'm calling The Little Things. Do we have that, that graphic? Uh, the Little Things this morning. <clears throat> and it's interesting, the little things uh, tend to get overlooked, don't they? Uh, I thought it was kind of God's sovereignty this morning, this Ukrainian uh, issue that we're dealing with as, as, a, as, a, as a world, as an international community. Uh, and then this young, this uh, church planner on the screen, Mike, Mike Watkins, I was talking to Pastor Mike yesterday, and he was saying that um, he had just gotten back from his honeymoon, is this right? And the next day, he and Mary Beth walked on campus at, at NC State, where they were campus missionaries, reaching the campus, right? We have a motto around here, change the campus, change the world. And uh, he started a conversation with a young college student named Mike Watkins uh, and discipled him, led him to the Lord. And then now we have seven churches in the Ukraine. Now, obviously, there's a lot in between there, right? But it started with a conversation, right? It started with a little thing. And so little things change the world. In fact, I was reading um, this past month in preparation for the series, a book called The Simplest Way to Change the World by Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements. They quote a, a guy by the name of Sky Jathani, and this is what he says, we've fallen into the conventional thinking that a big mission demands big tactics, but we forget that in the economy of God's kingdom, big does not beget big. It's precisely the opposite. The overwhelming message of Jesus' life and teaching is that small begets big. Consider God's plan to redeem creation. Big is achieved through his incarnation as an impoverished baby, small. Jesus feeds thousands on a hillside, big, with just a few fish and loaves, small. Christ seeks to make disciples of all nations, big. And he starts with a handful of fishermen small. Even Goliath, which I'm guessing was big, is defeated by David with a few stones, small. This pattern is also repeated in Jesus's parables about the nature of his kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air Come and make nests in its branches. All this confirms the counterintuitive nature of God's kingdom. Small begets big. If God breathes on it, right? One of the biggest things, I'm sorry, one of the things that we've seen poised to make the biggest difference is a little thing the Bible calls hospitality. Hospitality, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I've entitled this, when hell dialed 911. When hell dialed 911. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13 says this As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Verse, verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
When he had heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. When hell dialed 911, that's Matthew 9, 11. 911. Now, I had a friend growing up whose dad had to call 911. Has anybody in here ever had to call 911? It's not, it's not a fun time. But this particular evening, he had some stomach pain, and he was in trouble, and the pain began to get worse. And so fear mounted, and as is the case typically with a husband-wife relationship, the wife has to demand that the husband do something, right? So they, they rush him to the hospital, uh, only to find out he had a little gas, right? A little flatulence. And subsequent decades of being made fun of as being full of it by my parents. <laughs> so why do, I, why do I say that? Because we, we call 911, it's emergency one, when we feel pain or we're afraid or something could get worse. And in this moment, this isn't just a one-off in Matthew 9, 1, 1. This is a constant declaration by the Pharisees in the, in the order of the day that something's not right. Jesus hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, one uh, of the passages says he welcomes them. Why are they so afraid? Maybe hell knows something that we don't, that it's the small things that can make a big difference. This one act of cultural defiance stirred a nation stirred the powers. Why does he do this? In fact, in Matthew 11, 19, just two chapters later, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, look at him, a, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So this morning, what is biblical hospitality? What is biblical? Because when we say hospitality, we have a framework. We have a picture, usually Martha Stewart or, or some kind of a vision of a nice magazine. Everything's in place. Hospitality. That's not the vision that we see in Scripture. So what is biblical hospitality? And sometimes it's good to know what something is not. You can kind of like the opposite of that, right? And so uh, since um, I did some research on some welcome mats that I thought might help us see what biblical hospitality is not. Here's one. Um, there's no reason for you to be here. <laughs> right? You're unwelcome. All right, what's, the, what's another one here we got here? Go away. It's just, I like that. Y'all have friends like that? There's no reason for you to be here. Another friend's like, go away. Right? Very curt to the point. All right, another one. Don't knock unless I married you, I birthed you or I ordered food from you. And that's, that's one these days, right? You, you have food for me, you can come in. All right, another? No, seriously, go away. I think that's after you pass the first mat, if you didn't get, this is the second mat. Okay, another? Like a good neighbor, stay over there. That's probably very popular these days. Yeah, I think that's it, is that all of them? We got one more. Welcome, Matt. All others go away. So I guess 
if you've married a man named Matt, Matt Murray, is that, is that at your house? It's good. All others go away. Yeah. So what is biblical hospitality? Well, well we know it's what it's not. It's not, it, from what we can tell from Scripture, it's not cornering people, right? welcome them into your home, corner them, and don't let them leave until they know your views. That's not biblical hospitality. It's not, actually. It's also not a marketing technique. Come over here. I went to a house one time and for a meal, and next thing you know, I'm being pressured to buy thousands of dollars of pots and pans. Has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me, right? That's not hospitality. Now, that is a marketing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a marketing strategy. But it's not hospitality. Let's just be clear, okay? Now, it's also not inviting your friends over. Now, that is hospitable, but that's not biblical hospitality. That's not when we see hospitality, the word, in the New Testament. That's not inviting your friends over for a meal. Now, that's important. I would even say essential. It's community building. It's fellowship. But it's not hospitality. Because in hospitality, there's, there's something core that we're missing. And I'm going to get to that. One final thing it's not. It's, it is not unconditional affirmation. Unconditional affirmation. It is unconditional welcome. All are welcome. As, as uh, one blog writer I like named Trevin, Trevin Wax for um, the Gospel Coalition, he says this, unconditional welcome, right? We welcome everyone. We affirm no one. And I, I hope that I'm up here this morning that I'm not unconditionally welcome to you. I hope I'm welcome. I mean, I hope I'm unconditionally welcome, not unconditionally affirmed, sorry. I hope I'm, as your pastor, not unconditionally affirmed. I hope that you take what I say and read the scripture and say, is this right or wrong? That you welcome me unconditionally, but you don't unconditionally affirm me. Because this is what a biblical view is. And here's the scripture, if I can find it. Romans 15. I'm going to come back to it. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And a good, robust, and consistent biblical worldview is that every human, no matter who you are, unborn, born, disabled, no disability, white, black, yellow, red, Russian, Ukrainian, Chinese, Japanese, Democrat, or Republican, all are image bearers of God. All bear the image of God. All are welcome. Okay. And in the same breath, we can say that we're all messed up. We all have issues. We all are welcome and none are affirmed because you are either a sinner in need of a savior or a saint in need of some scrubbing. A sinner in need of a savior or a saint in need of some scrubbing. I'm not a sinner. Yeah, but you're a saint. And you ain't holy yet, brother. Or sister. So that's not gospel hospitality or biblical hospitality. All are welcome. None are affirmed. 
wholly affirmed. Obviously, you're affirmed as God's children. So what is biblical hospitality? Um, Here's a definition from Matt Chandler in his article, Hospitality is Courageous. He said this, to give loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. It's opening your life and your house to those who believe differently than you do. Wow, that's biblical. That means you're just going right to the heart. That's biblical hospitality. Finding someone the other who doesn't see eye to eye with you about everything, who maybe doesn't look like you, doesn't act like you, that's biblical hospitality. Opening your home, your, your life to them. Another definition is showing love to strangers. Showing love to strangers. In fact, in, in a biblical context, it's probably the most common. You're new. You don't know me. I don't know you. Come in. Let me open my heart, my life to you. Welcoming others for their benefit. You hear that? For their benefit. Jesus rails against this in the Gospels. He says, don't invite someone over to your house who you know will invite you back. Find the lame, the broken, the blind. and Pull them in who can't repay. That's hospitality. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says this about hospitality. He defines it this way. The act or practice of receiving strangers or guests without reward. So not inviting someone over to get something. But to open your life and your home for their benefit. With kind and generous liberality. That scripture in Luke 14. When you give a dinner or a banquet. Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back. But if you have a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's what I love about what we're doing in the Ukraine. We have Christians over there saying, we'll welcome them. We just need the resources. And we can do that, can't we? can't open my home to a Ukrainian refugee at this moment, but someone can and I can fund it. It's how we can be a part of biblical hospitality even at this moment. So here it is. One more challenge here. If hospitality doesn't cost us anything, it's probably not hospitality. Now, what does it cost us? Maybe it costs us a meal, but, but maybe discomfort. I have an idol from time to time I have to tear down called comfort. Anybody else? Just, just a handful? If it's not costing us something, it's probably not biblical hospitality. Now, that doesn't mean other forms of hospitality as we know it aren't critical, even essential. Absolutely. They're just not what Scripture is going to call hospitality. They call it more like fellowship, community building, right? Relationship building, even discipleship. Critical. But this thing called biblical hospitality is opening our lives and homes to the stranger outside of those normal circle of friends for their benefit and God's glory. Now, why hospitality? Why hospitality? Why is this important? Well, if we we march through Scripture, this is who God is. 
uh, Zach did a great job last week talking about the Trinity and when he created the earth. Did you know that God created the world and then he made a garden in the world? Did y'all catch that? He made a garden within creation to put man and woman for their benefit and his glory. Y'all remember that? Right? Here's the world, wild and unruly. He, he created it, beautiful, unrestrained. And then he created a little garden. He cultivated this place, this space, so that they might flourish and expand. God is a hospitable God. And so should we be. Then he goes on to Deuteronomy 6 after creation and Israel's in Egypt and he says in Deuteronomy 6.10, and when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. What is he saying? I'm taking you from slavery and I'm bringing you into human flourishing. You didn't build the houses. You didn't plant the vineyards. And I've set it up beforehand so that you might walk in it. That's hospitality, is it not? God, who is wholly other, is creating human flourishing for those who are not like him. I'm gonna say that again. God, who is wholly other, perfect in love in the Trinity, is creating a place of human flourishing for someone not like him. That's hospitality. That's the heart of God. That is who God is. You don't believe me, okay? Jesus comes. And uh, Robert Karras wrote a book called Eating Your Way Through the Gospel of Luke. And this is what he said. Jesus was either going to a meal, eating a meal, or leaving a meal in the Gospel of Luke. The whole gospel Jesus was going to a meal, eating a meal, or leaving a meal. Why? Because he was cultivating hospitality for someone not like him. Now, he tried to relate to you, us, and he did in every way, but was different. And he connected to us. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. God knows I'm a sinner, and he made a place for me. Now, it's also central to the gospel, and the gospel worked out. In fact, Romans 15, 7, we read it earlier, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How did Christ welcome me? How did Christ welcome you? He didn't welcome you this way. Get all cleaned up. Get rid of all your sin. I need you to take your theology classes to believe what's right about me wholly, completely, then I'll share a meal with you. Is that what God did for you? No, this is while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. How did he welcome you? Dirty, selfish, and hurting. He didn't say, and many of us have not come to Christ, have not put faith in Christ because we're still waiting to get clean to come before him. That is not the gospel. That is not how Christ accepts you. He accepts you exactly where you are exactly where you are. Now, he'll refuse to leave you that way because he loves you and he's for your good. But he accepts you exactly as you are. Unconditional welcoming. This is at the heart of the gospel. And 
I don't know if we realize this, but in the book of Romans, when, when Paul's writing this letter and he wrote this, he just spent pages of the largest epistle. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? Because he's trying to tear down this dividing law between Jew and Gentile. The other. Those not like me. He's saying, look, how can we welcome? Because Christ welcomes you both by the grace of God. Welcoming everyone. What else do we see in the New Testament? Why hospitality? When, when you are, and what's been kind of so neat about this whole Ukrainian thing is when, when it got tough in the capital, the president and his officials didn't scurry out the back door. No, we're staying here. Doesn't that, imp doesn't that impress you? Doesn't that embolden the, the, the people of the Ukraine to stand with him? Why? Because he's asking us to do something that he himself is doing. It's powerful. And so when we look at the New Testament, we see that when, when Paul would go start a church in a city and then he would leave his apprentice, his protege, Timothy or Titus, hey, I'm leaving you in Ephesus. I need you to set up some leadership so that what I entrusted to you will be entrusted for generations. He gave them qualifications of elders. Don't put anyone in charge who is not in things like husband of one wife, doesn't love the drink, you know, don't get drunk, doesn't get drunk, doesn't love money, is above reproach. He has this qualification. And you know what one of the qualifications is? Is hospitable. It was so central to the early church that you couldn't even be in leadership if you weren't hospitable. Doesn't mean you can be saved. It just means that we're not, we're creating a culture in the early church that it's leaders. I want the leaders to model what the whole church should look like. Opening your home, opening your lives to those who don't agree with you or look like you or can repay you back. That was a requirement for leadership. Central to the early church, if we look at the book of Acts, they gathered in the home and in the temple. We know it wasn't just people that looked like them or were them because there were people all over the nations gathered in Jerusalem at that time. Central to the early church. Now get this. Jesus in John chapter 14 says this, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? That sounds hot, like hospitality. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Jesus right now is preparing a place for those who believe in him. He is setting the table. He is setting a moment so that when we pass from this life into the life to come, he's waiting with hospitable arms. So from creation to eternity, God is hospitable. And he's creating a hospitable people with hospitable leadership for a hospitable vision. All may come. That's why hospitality. What can hospitality look like? What does it look like? And I, let me just, one caveat here. Jesus, in this 911 moment, why, why does your leader eat with tax collectors and sinners? The other. Well, think about who the other is in our culture. And I bet the other in this room is different for every person. 
the other. Jesus welcomed the other and ate with him. And when they challenged him on it, they, the, the, hell and the devil was so upset, so scared, so in pain. Why does he do it? What does he say? What does he say? Do y'all remember? He says, the sick need a doctor, not the well. He links hospitality and hospital. You see it? He links hospitality with hospital. When I open up, when I, with the gospel, open up my life and my home, I create a space for care and healing. It's interesting, the correlation, hospital, hospitality, same root, right? Here's the etymology. There's the same word in there. Why hospitality? Because it is a place of healing because we live in a world that is broken, that needs healing, that needs physicians. And Christ, the good physician, has come to bring healing and care and human flourishing. Now, what can hospitality look like? Now, I know if you're a college student or a young person, you think, I don't have a home and I don't have money. So I'm off the hook. No! Because last time I checked, Jesus didn't have a home or lots of money. So it doesn't need to look like elaborate banquets and invitations. In fact, it didn't look like that for Jesus. Hospitality for Jesus was a late night call to a religious leader named Nicodemus. Come in, ask your questions. Both sides, Nicodemus, the elite, the powerful, oh, they weren't pushed out. They weren't unwelcome because they were elite and powerful. Come on in and ask your questions. It was the woman at the well, the Samaritan, the other, the one that no one wanted to interact with. I don't have a home or a meal, but I'm going to sit right up here at this uh, well and act like I own it. Could you give me some water? She's like, how are you going to get water without me? I guess you'll have to give me some. I have some water for you, right? So he, hospitality for Jesus was in that moment creating conversation and welcoming the stranger. I don't have water, but I can give you living water. Hospitality for Jesus was at a tax collector's house. Receiving an invitation, how about that? Jesus responded to an invitation and cultivated hospitality because other tax collectors and sinners came and he didn't say, I gotta get out of here. He sat at the table. He received the invitation. He was at a Pharisee's house and a woman came and cried on his feet and washed his feet with her hair. You know what he said? Well, you didn't do it, so I guess she had to. Hospitable, wherever he was. How can it look like creating space for people to be seen and heard and accepted as image bearers? Doesn't, I didn't say unconditionally affirmed. 
I did say an ear to hear. An honor as an image bearer. To share a table, to share a conversation. Three practical demonstrations of hospitality. Let's talk about them. Number one, hospitality as conversation. You don't have to have money. You don't even have to have a house. You can create hospitable conversation. Looking someone in the eye as an image bearer of God, as a son or a daughter of God because he created them and engage with them on that level. That's hospitality. Unconditional welcome. Hospitality as a meal. Now, I love to eat. And I love the gospel of Luke because of that now. It's my favorite gospel. I found out this week. From a meal, on the way to a meal, or eating. I just love it all. That can be hospitality. And hospitality is entering another space with grace and honor. That's hospitality. Jesus demonstrated that. I'll come to your home, even though I don't agree with you about everything. Even though you are oppressing these people with your weird laws, I will honor your invitation and come. Even if you're a sinner, I mean a dirty dog sinner, tax collector, the worst, I'll share the table with you because you're an image bearer. That's hospitality. Again, doesn't mean affirmation. It does mean honor. Now, from what I can tell, hell was afraid because Jesus hung out with people different than him. What about us? Do we live a lifestyle that makes hell scared? That hell would dial 911. It's painful. There's fear of more. Or have we retreated and we've been in a two-year, right? We've been in a two-year moment of retreat. Some of that wise, some of that maybe not. And so we need to reevaluate. Okay, Lord, how now shall I live? How now shall I live? What would Jesus be doing? And me, as his apprentice, what should I be doing? I think there's not a soul in here not challenged, myself, the foremost. Lord, help us be a hospitable... This is what's beautiful about this. It's not big. It's not that crazy. You have a lunch break, probably. If you don't, we need to like talk to your boss, right? Or you're not working enough. I don't know which one. But you have a lunch break. You do eat. Most of us on average 21 times a week. On average. Probably eat more than that. So we have an easy, small, little thing that can make a big difference. I was going to save this quote for next week, but I think it may be applicable today. Michelle, can you hand me that? Thank you, baby. Thank you. I don't know if you all know a guy by the name of Phil Vischer, but he invented VeggieTales. Do you all remember VeggieTales? In fact, he's got a great uh, video on um, systematic racism in our country. It was beautiful, what, very well done, um, and educational. But he wrote a book called Me, Myself, and Bob. Me, Myself, and Bob. 
And he's speaking to a Christian culture who's, who kind of wants to follow in his footsteps, right? I want to write that next movie. I want to write that next song, you know? And he says, as I write this, I'm growing increasingly convinced that if one of these kids burning with passion to write that hit Christian song or make that hit Christian movie or start that hit Christian ministry to change the world, or I could add, be that next Christian athlete, right? Instead of focusing their passion on walking with God on a daily basis, the world would be changed. So a shifting of focus, right? Instead of focusing on doing that one thing that might create a ripple, right? That you would focus on walking with God on a daily basis, the world would be changed. What is walking with God? Simple. Doing what he asks you to do every day. Living an active relationship with him. I think we did a series called Abide on that. Filling your mind with his word and letting your, his word penetrate every waking moment. So why do I believe a thousand kids walking with God will have more impact on the world than one kid making a hit movie? Because the world learns about God not by watching Christian movies, but by watching Christians. Because the world learns about God not by watching Christian movies, but by watching Christians. We are his hands and feet. What I put in my movies is more or less irrelevant if it is not coming out of my life. We're a fraud. Let's pray. Father, help us as your people, your ambassadors as you called us in Corinthians. Lord, to be welcoming to all. Help us to be a hospitable people. Lord, I pray that we cause heaven to rejoice and we cause hell to quake because we do the little things every day. The little things once a week, the little things once a month by sitting down across from a table or having a conversation with someone different than us. That they might see the love and the beauty and the power of the grace of God to change a sinner like me. If you're in here this morning or you're watching online and you have lived in this constant belief that God won't welcome you unless you get everything right, he won't love you unless you get your ducks in a row. He won't accept you unless you think right about him and live right about him. I want to tell you today that that is not how the gospel works. Come as you are. Come with your sin and your wrong thinking and your wrong desires and your wrong attractions and your wrong struggles. Come as you are. Jesus wants you just as you are. And this is his promise. If you'll believe in him, if you'll trust in him, if you'll see what he's done for you and believe and trust in that gospel, he will not leave you the same. And he will accompany you every step of the way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus and trust him. 
as the Lord and master of my life. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. You can put that down. Anyone else? If you raise your hand this morning, I want you to pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to get cleaned up for you. I'm coming this morning as I am. I need your grace and your mercy. Forgive me of my sin. I need your help. I can't do this alone. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Now, if you are here and you're right with God and you would say, I'm a son and a daughter of Jesus. But I have not been opening my life or my home or my lifestyle to the other. And I feel like Jesus is pushing me today to be more hospitable. I need your prayer. I need help. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Raise it high. Amen. Thank you. I see that. Father, help us. You see these hands. You see these hearts willingly opening. Say, Lord, we, need, we have been closed off and we need to be open. Lord, help us. to be your representatives, loving people where they are, helping them see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. Help this church, Lord, to be a hospitable church and our homes and our lives to be hospitable, Father, for a hurting world that desperately needs you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, let's stand to our feet as we close this morning. It's the little things, guys. It's the little things. Well, just a reminder, a lot of our um, college students are here this morning because they're in Chantilly, Virginia. I think 20-some, 25 of them are at a uh, regional conference. I've already heard of some of our students getting baptized, encountering God. It's been awesome. Can't wait to hear those stories when they get back. Uh, just a reminder, we are giving to the Ukraine, so you can do that on the app. Uh, just designate that special offering this week for this entire week. If you'll do that, everything that, that's given, we're going to give that 100% of that to them as we help them be hospitable in a, in a great time of need. Thank you for being here this week. We'll see you next week for part two of The Little Things. See you next week.